Welcome to another episode of Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined once again by Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com and now as well, film reviewer for NewstalkFlorida.com. Chris, what a weekend last week with the hockey games that happened and the shakeups that happened in, in the college hockey world. This is the fun of being a, uh, this is the fun of being in college hockey. The things never stay the same. There's some big time changes that happen and uh, you just got to go along for the ride and have as much fun with it as you can. And really, how could you not have fun with this stuff? There's just, gives us plenty to talk about on this show. And it's the time of year where it really starts to get every game matters more and more as the season goes on. And now that we're well into January, we're getting close to February. It's time for the ranked teams and the teams that are doing well in the pairwise to start thinking a little bit in the future. And that's always difficult because you have to keep your eye on the game in front of you, but it becomes hard when suddenly people are asking about the pairwise and you're looking and the phrase bubble team is already coming up, which seems a little early for January, but if the bracketology guy at USCHO says bubble, then it's time to start talking about it, I guess. Yeah, it is that time when there's enough hockey left where it's meaningful but it's also the time when you've got to get yourself going because uh, if you're a struggling team right now, then you've only got so much time before, you know, before things just don't end up working out for you. So it's that time of year when the bracket really does start taking shape and things matter a ton more. I think the game that might have had the most impact – at the very least, it got the most attention over last weekend. In in Omaha, something strange happened between Miami and Nebraska-Omaha. A ranked matchup, Miami came in number 20. Omaha was hosting as number 17. And they actually scored more goals than the number next to Omaha's name. The combined score was 8. It was an 11-7 victory for Omaha. Wow. So uh, there were – the attendance record is listed as having 5,609 people attending. They um, they got themselves a hockey game. Not a lot of goaltending. In fact, uh, the goaltending was pretty not good. Uh, goodness. Miami of Ohio only got – three shots on goal in the first period, and one of them went in. This is a video game scoreline. It's just, there's no way that this should end up happening in, you know, in regular opportunities. But it did, and sport is fun, isn't it? I really wish I could have been in Omaha for this game. I hear Baxter Arena is a good place for it, and I'm sure they lapped it up. 5,609 people went to the game, but that's one of those games where something like 10 to 15,000 people are going to say they went to that game because it's the kind of game they'll be talking about for a bit. I mean, wouldn't you? This is one of the things that folk legends are made of. Just, wow, this is amazing the way that uh, they they scored like that. And the goaltending, Miami got 26 shots on that. Seven of them went in. Omaha got 33 shots 
on net, and 11 of them went in. That's a 33% shooting clip. If you're shooting that efficiently from three-point land in basketball, you're an above-average three-point shooter. If you're shooting like that in hockey, then I don't know what sport we're playing anymore. I think you were right to compare it to a video game, and we've done that before. Usually we're doing that with Penn State, but this this week we're doing it with the this crazy Omaha-Miami game. And, of course, it was a lot more normal the next night because it was just a 4-3 to three Omaha win. Was, they scored four goals in the second period. Miami came back a bit with three in the third but couldn't come all the way back, and Omaha held on for the sweep. And we're talking about teams that – might start using the phrase on the bubble. This was a big weekend for Omaha. Yeah, two giant wins. They really flexed their muscles. Um, uh, Evan Leninger showed that he could play very nicely in net, and they can score in bunches. Omaha got four goals in the second period. Well, all of their goals the second night came in uh, in the second period. And more people actually went to the Saturday night game, which was a normal hockey game, then went to the offensive bonanza of the night before, which is kind of weird, but uh, more people will remember the first game. But Omaha's a nice team there. I think they're a little bit more highly ranked than they otherwise would be because they play in the NCHC. Not to say they don't deserve it. They you know, they certainly do. They're a good hockey team, but uh, they're, they're the epitome of the bubble team. But, you know, Miami is as well. Miami's also right on the cusp of uh, just not making it in at all. So this is the time of year when that kind of stuff really starts to matter a lot more. It certainly does. And that was the, it wasn't the most, um, it wasn't the biggest series of the weekend necessarily, but it's the one that we're going to remember for the longest period of time after this weekend. There were some other great ones. Western Michigan and St. Cloud State went at it. And it was a it was a split. The Friday night game, another one of those high scoring affairs, seven to five. You know the NCHC is so used to presenting us with efficient and uh, high caliber defensive showings that they do they do have a lot of high quality offensive talent as well. So I'm happy to see that we can have some shootouts as well, but. That that series, I think, did cost St. Cloud a little bit in the rankings if they've fallen behind both Clarkson and Notre Dame. And they're down to only one first-place vote in the USDHO poll right now. It's been, it's been an up-and-down season at the top of the rankings for almost everybody. That Nobody stays there for long. For a while, it looked like Denver was just dominant. And then they've fallen into kind of a strange stretch in the last few games for for the pioneers. And then you have St. Cloud state who was on top for a while. They got tripped up by a, by a tough Western Michigan team. Maybe not necessarily a team that, that is properly ranked, but they can play extremely well from night to night. And they had a good weekend against St. Cloud state, pushing them, winning that seven to five game. And then it was four or three on Saturday night. So they, they gave St. Cloud state all they could handle at her Brooks arena. Oh, yeah. Also, random thing. If you started adopting my sense of not being the biggest Andy Murray fan, I don't dislike him at all. It's just I don't 
see the head over heels praise for him being an amazing coach. Again, he's a good hockey coach, but I just don't get all the praise for him. St. Cloud deserves to be ranked where they are. Western Michigan's a good hockey team, but you know, I, I think that St. Cloud's talent will shine through. And even without Will Borgen, who they're going to play with him at St. Cloud for a little bit longer before he joins the other three college students at the Olympics. But uh, this should be a really interesting time for uh, for them to sort everything out. I think the NCHC, not I think, the NCHC is the best conference by leaps and bounds. So um, I might not be a big uh, Andy Murray fan, but Ben Blacker in gold, 36 saves on 40 shots faced by St. Cloud if his offense could have gotten more than 16 shots in that game. And maybe they could have pulled out, that they almost certainly would have pulled out the victory. But alas, you don't ultimately get that in this sport. I think my feelings on Andy Murray are a lot like my feelings on Western Michigan itself, that he's a really good coach, but there are a lot of really good coaches in that conference. There are a lot in the country. There are a lot of really good teams in that conference and in the country. So I don't know how much he would stand out compared to some of the some of the guys coming through college hockey right now that have been so great. Jim Montgomery at, at Denver comes to mind, and there are a lot of others. So that that I think that's where I would go with Andy Murray on that. He's a very good coach, but there are a lot of very good coaches in college hockey, and he might get a lot of a lot of praise, but. When a team's doing well, it's hard not to praise the coach, and we hear we hear people praising their coach all over college hockey these days. I mean, don't get me wrong; he's a good hockey coach, and I appreciate him for uh, for his ability and uh, for what he's done in improving a program. And I like having more competitive hockey programs, but I just don't know if I would fully buy into Western Michigan being a national contender. For uh, for big tournament time, it's just I like Ben Blacker, but uh, in that, but honestly, that's kind of about it. He couldn't steal a game in which uh, in which he made thirty six saves for uh, for his team. So I have my doubts about Western Michigan, and I guess I will uh, leave it at that. I think maybe on that note that. Some of these teams toward the um, second half of the NCHC are going to fall back a little bit to the pack as the season progresses, because I agree that it's the best conference bar none in the country right now, but there are a lot of good teams outside of the NCHC that might start making a run and are going to kind of come up the rankings both both in votes and in the pairwise very soon. And we really don't know for the entire country how the the few players that are going to the Olympics are going to change things as well. But I, I think they're going to come back to the pack a bit is what I'm saying. Although what a great weekend for them and moving on to the other great conference going right now, the big 10, we predicted it was going to be a clash of two very different styles at Pegula ice arena between Ohio state and Penn state. And it certainly was with, Penn State winning Friday night 5-2, to two, and Ohio State taking the second half of the series 5-1 to one on Saturday. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. The team skated, they played hard, and, you know, it, it was really good college hockey. As 
someone who is on the record as being not the biggest Penn State fan, I don't dislike them as much as uh, Tech or Northern or any or uh, any of those places. But I'm not the biggest fan of uh, of the way they play. This was a crazy time. And Ohio State, that first game, actually outshot Penn State 47 to 36 and got 22 shots on goal in the second period alone. And Peyton Jones came up big time. I was very happy to see that Penn State has some real goaltending. I mean, he made 20 out of 22 saves in the second period and made 45 of the game. So. I was very happy to see that uh, Ohio State could skate with Penn State and could shoot with them as well. I think that's going to be a key to both of those teams throughout because, as we mentioned last week, Ohio State prefers to play a more defensive style. But if they can, if they can get out and run with anybody, then they're going to be a tough outcome march. And I think they proved that in this game. But on the other hand, you have Penn State who they're going to need big performances out of Peyton Jones. They're going to need great goaltending because they give up almost as many shots as they take. And in that case, give up more shots than they took. And that, that leaves a lot on the goalie's shoulders and that's how they play. Yeah. I mean, they have defensemen who get into the play very frequently. They jump in, they get involved. And on nights like Friday, that can really work to their benefit on nights like Saturday it can really burn them with them losing five to one. And again, they got outshot 42 to 31. So if there's a team who can keep pace with them, Peyton Jones still made 37 saves out of the 41 shots that he faced. So it's not like uh, he played bad in net or anything. He made a lot of very good plays, but for one, Ohio State is a good goaltender of their own. And Tommy Napier made, 30 out of 31 saves that he uh, that he faced. And Penn State didn't slow down the other team's offense. So if they get into a scoring duel, then they could have some real difficulties. They're the most interesting team in college hockey because there's a lot of potential for them to do something spectacular, and there's equal potential for them to get burned spectacularly as well. The only Big Ten sweep of the weekend came from Michigan, who swept Minnesota in Minnesota. That's a surprising result at, at Mariucci. Yeah, the sacred ground was trod upon. And, you know, it is nice to see the Wolverines, who have been in a fairly quiet stretch ever since Red Berenson retired. It's nice to see them come back and show uh, uh, their historical dominance all over again. So. Uh, Good, good on Michigan for going up to uh, to Mariucci and coming up with a sweep. I'm not that big. I mean, I I'm not that big a Big Ten guy. I'm a hockey East guy at heart, but I like seeing these teams uh, trade spots and be competitive all the time. It, for all the people who just really dislike the the Big Ten, and that's not just limited to the Upper Peninsula, but there are a lot of them up there, of course. There. It, it gets a lot harder to hate the Big Ten when you see some of these matchups and you see that's an old rivalry. That's been going on for a long time across many sports, as we say a lot in that conference. And it's really working in hockey. As much as we like the unique landscape of college hockey, I'm always talking about how much I love that. 
there is something to be said for these games between Michigan and Minnesota, between Michigan and Penn State, which that's going to be this weekend when those two teams face off. These, it's hard to look away when these, these kind of teams play and they have all this tradition and all this history, some on the ice, some not so much on the ice. Agreed. And, you know, you just need to get people in the building. And really, Michigan versus Ohio State or any of these staple rivalries, they're going to get people in the building. They're going to have a bigger audience. You're going to have more people watching. And isn't that what we want? We talk about that all the time on this podcast, that you want more people being a part of it. And I don't know how you could possibly look at um, at the sport and how uh, these teams are having some real success and real rivalries and not say that you know, more people aren't watching because they are. Penn State, for all its faults and for uh, our not being the biggest fans of their style, it works. It works as a hockey school. And I think anything that gets more college hockey should be praised and uh, thanked. And, you know, be thankful that we have more college hockey and more rivalries. Now let's get them up to uh, St. Salt to play Lake State or someone. Well, that's it. That's something I, I'm always thinking of because I've been told several times by people who went to Big Ten schools that it's kind of a hard sell to get people fired up for a school that they don't know about outside of the hockey world. And there are a lot of those in college hockey. But at the same time, my response is always the same. But we want you to. That's that's what makes college hockey such a unique thing. You need to get involved in those rivalries. We need Penn State to go take a tour of the Upper Peninsula. We need these, you know, the old rivalries of the CCHA to come back a little bit. And you know, certainly, every year that Minnesota does not play very many games against North Dakota is always a shame. So it, it, there needs to be a mix. It's good to see that that the that they're doing something to get people to go to the arenas and get them familiar with these rivalries that exist through every sport but they also need to get the hockey specific rivalries back because that really is to the rest of us that's part of what makes college hockey so fantastic I'll agree with that notion um I would I mean I just want to see some teams from the WCHA make a deep tournament run so that we could uh so that we could see a lot of uh, the uh, some Big Ten teams maybe take them a little bit more seriously, I guess, or maybe see the WCHA establish itself as more than just a conference that at one time was great instead of a conference that still does have some really competitive and awesome hockey to offer everybody. Well, in our tradition that we've been developing here of jumping all over the map a little bit, that brings me to what I think is the sensational matchup this weekend. The thing that if you can watch it, go watch it. It's going to be on Fox Sports North Plus on Friday. Minnesota State, who has been great all year. They're at the top of the WCHA. They're going to be playing a non-conference game. And it's going to be against St. Cloud State in Herb Brooks. So if they can win that game or even make it a close game, that's going to send the message that they're not just the class of a down conference. They really belong in the discussion for a team that it's going to have to be dealt with in March. Oh yeah. This is the uh 
this is the matchup of the week. Taking a look at a bunch of the other stuff that's going on here. There's a fun little one with Army taking on the Royal Military Academy of uh, of, uh, of Canada, and uh, there's Wisconsin versus Notre Dame. There's other there's other big stuff to look at, but this definitely is the big matchup. First off, it's two Minnesota schools, and we know that those two uh, that those that that state does hockey right. We know that state does college hockey right. Second. This is a really intriguing matchup, just in terms of personnel. Uh, both of these teams can play defensive, heavy-hitting styles of hockey with, uh, uh, with uh, Borgen and Schultz as the key defensemen for St. Cloud, and with Connor LeCouve in that for the Mavericks, and also with, um, with C.J. Sousa as the leading man. They play bruising, beat em up hockey in Mankato. So this is the most intriguing matchup in terms of style. So uh, if you can, go watch it. It's, it's going to be a great time for everybody involved, I think. Minnesota State has a really interesting week because they play that game, and then they come home to Mankato to take on Minnesota Duluth. That's going to be another great matchup of in-state rivals that used to play more often, but when they're going to get a chance, they're going to have saved up some bad blood. Yeah, that whole in-state thing really does mean a ton. And the Mavericks really do represent, I guess for lack of a better term, the jilted nature of the WCHA incredibly well. So I think it's going to be a great time, and we should circle that and pay attention to uh, what we've got going, especially since Mankato is going to be – regrouping after what was kind of a difficult weekend for them. They split against uh, Alaska Fairbanks. In that first game, they lost 5 to nothing in Fairbanks. So the second game, they won 5-1. So they've, they, they'll have their uh, ship all corrected. They'll be all together. They will, uh, they'll get after both of their in-state rivals. And, of course, we've mentioned several times before the travel involved in going out to Alaska is always tough. So while that was a great game for Fairbanks winning those winning five or scoring five and and winning, that's it's tough to go out there and win. And I think Minnesota State just showed that, but they're going to be put to the test again this week against a couple NCHC schools. And we'll see really where they're at nationally when they play those two games. That will be a fascinating pair. Oh, yeah. I mean, college hockey gives you a lot of interesting matchups, and some of the more compelling ones are out-of-conference stuff. Though the in-conference schedule gives us no shortage of good things to look at, even in uh, we've already covered the MCHC and the Big Ten stuff. But even beyond, there are some really interesting matchups to take a look at this weekend. There really are. There are a couple of classic rivalries that are being renewed in a in a big way this weekend. And I think the big one to pay attention to is out in upstate New York. It's going to be Colgate and Cornell. These are two Ivy League rivals. This is one of those rivalries that does transcend and go across multiple sports and go across even academics. So this is going to be that's going to be one where you watch the game and you watch the crowd. Agreed. But you know one thing that's really surprising about the way that uh, this 
game works. Like one of the more interesting aspects of this whole thing, Cornell was expected to be pretty good. They were in the ECAC's uh, conference championship game last year. They made it to the national tournament again, and they they lost the first round against Lowell, but they made it there. And they came in with some real expectations of being pretty good. The Raiders up at Colgate, they were expected to finish either in last place or second-to-last place in a lot of the preseason polls. So they've already had a real surprising season and have proven to be a tough out. And rivalry games, you cross everything off the board anyway for record stuff. But the fact that they have been so consistently uh, competitive and excellent, it, it's it's nice to see teams defying expectations. And I think we're in for a good time up here in upstate New York, which for some interesting uh, reason, has been the hub of Eastern hockey so far this year. It really has. It's been a great year for the upstate New York schools, and it's been a great year for the top part of the ECAC, although that conference has been a bit topsy-turvy in terms of everyone else. But the top schools have been fantastic. Clarkson, who will be playing Harvard this weekend, that's going to be really interesting as well because Harvard has not lost a game in 2018 by the way so look out for the crimson but clarkson's going to well they're they're tough they're number two in the latest poll so there's a there's going to be another great matchup but when you talk about old rivalries renewed i think the big one the the big old rivalry that we're glad to see both teams really on their feet for it's going to be New Hampshire and Maine. New Hampshire and Maine, very few hockey schools hate each other as much as New Hampshire and Maine do, and they're going to be facing off in what is a very interesting weekend for both because New Hampshire, they've been kind of reeling lately, and they need to they need to pull out of it. And then Maine just had an up-and-down last week. They were swept by Northeastern, and then they won on Tuesday against Massachusetts um, Amherst. So. This is going to be an interesting series in a lot of ways, and talk about a rivalry. Oh, the border war is one of those special rivalries. There's there's games you watch for just being really interesting matchups, and then there's games you get in best and you don't know that they're special. Because these schools are pretty close together. They're in bordering states. They've had a lot of tradition. They've played each other in Frozen Four. They've played each other in one of the greatest national championship games ever with Maine defeating UNH in 1999. And uh, it's Dick O'Milly's last of his regular season trip up to Orono, and it'll be his last opportunity. And while there will be real hatred, I fully expect the good people of Maine to applaud Coach O'Milly for his accomplishments and for his career. They will applaud him, respect him for all the effort he put in. And then the second the applause is done, go back to hating him and having vitriolic hatred towards uh, towards the Wildcats. But you're right about UNH really right now. They lost to BU, but it was at least close. They lost to BC on Sunday afternoon on the road, and it, the, the score was 5-2, but they looked bad. I mean, they just got beaten up by the Eagles, who, to their credit, also looked very good recovering from a loss to Providence. But UNH has some things to work out. Coach Humili, after the game, was angry afterwards. And I don't just mean 
disappointed or not happy. I mean angry, like coach ranting angry. If we didn't get that great a rant, we just got a brief moment in the press conference afterwards of, and it seems like everyone's contributing to us losing. Each night someone else takes a turn. So I expect the Wildcats to be on their game for this weekend. And they really need to be because it, they've seen – they had such a great start, and they're starting to watch it slip away. And what is an attainable hockey East, they can make – they can still make a run in that conference because, as we've mentioned many times, that is a wide-open conference. You mentioned Providence beating Boston College. Tell us a little more about that Providence team because I know you're going to be in Hartford tonight as they take on the Connecticut Huskies. Yeah, I'm going to be down in uh, in Hartford at the XL Center. I'll be I'll be. Uh, side note, I actually grew up in West Hartford, so I'm really going home to uh, uh, to be a part of this uh, and to be on press row for it. So Providence is a top heavy team. They have two of the best players in the conference in Eric Foley, a junior who's drafted by Winnipeg. He has 28 points, which is third in in the conference, just behind two of your guys from Northeastern, Gaudet and Sakura. And Brian Pino is fourth in points. He's a senior and the captain was on the national championship team in 2015. After them and after after those top players and after Jacob Bryson, who's uh, on the defensive line, there's not a lot of real championship-level depth, I think. So I think Providence has some real talent, but I'm not sold on the Friars this season. Hayden Hockey's a great goaltender, though, and has the perfect name. So the Friars, they're a good team. They'll compete. I don't know if they're championship-level. I think, gigantic emphasis on think, They'll make it back to the Garden for uh, championship weekend this year, but i got to wait and see on them. That's uh, That's been my feeling on Providence, too. And, of course, every time we talk about Providence, I always just think hashtag Hayden Hockey. <laughs> it really is a perfect name for, uh, for, all, for, for him and for his sport. So it's just, we need more people like that to have the name that just fits. It's there are sometimes you see a player in in a sport that it seems like they were born to play that sport and he's probably at the top of that list, of course. There there are two goalies in that conference whose name is pronounced Wall. One is spelled W O L L at the at Boston College and he's been having a pretty good year. And then there's Tyler Wall at at UMass Lowell, and we've mentioned he has struggled mightily this year, but you know, you you just those great names in college hockey stand out as they do in any sport, and and Hayden Hockey's at the top of that list. So, you know, it, it, you mentioned you're from Hartford. You have a you have a a Hartford background. So, what does it mean when Connecticut plays Brass Bonanza? Uh, it's so for the one generation ahead of me because I was born in 1994. And my family moved down to West Hartford in 1995. The Whalers moved out in 1997. Their last game was April 13, 1997, against Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, the <laughs> the uh, Whalers won that game 3-1. to one, But that was their last home game before they moved down to Carolina. 
So I never remember going to see it because I was two years old at the time when they moved out. So for me, it means that uh, it's a good tie back to, uh, to the time when there was professional sports here. For the one generation above me, my brother and his crowd of, of people who were old enough at the time, it's a reminder of uh, real direct nostalgia. You know, the good kind of nostalgia that can control your brain for a little bit in a good way and just remind you of how good things once were. It, it just screams Connecticut and hockey. And it, it's, I, I think of all the things that Connecticut has done since they've come into college hockey, grown a bit and ended up in hockey East. I think bringing that back into the fold is going to be one of the biggest. And every, every Connecticut fan I've, I've ever heard from just goes nuts for that. And they love that. And they love the tie to the history, even if anyone at Connecticut now would, would not remember back when the whale existed, but they, that song still just lives on as a piece of Connecticut's hockey lore. And should Hartford ever get back into the NHL, it will return to the pro ranks, but it will always be a part of the college ranks now. And I think that's a great piece. It, it, it's one of those things that makes college hockey unique in a way, and it just reminds everyone of hockey's history in, in a place. Agreed. And let me spoil one thing. The Whalers are never going to be a thing again. I would love them to come back. I would love for them to be a part of the National Hockey League. I would love for Hartford to be uh, supportive of, of a National Hockey League team, but I just don't think that's going to end up happening. And unless UConn picks up their play and turns their attendance around in a big way, because they drew very, they drew great crowds at the start, but the attendance has been tapering off. And I think part of it is they've not seen all the success that they would have really wanted. But they've got some great players. Maxim Batunov is, a, is an excellent skater, and Adam Huska is a great goaltender. By the way, yes, Huska, H-U-S-K-A. Do you want anyone who matches the program more for the UConn Huskies? Yeah, there you go. We've mentioned great names, and there's another one. Oh, yeah. So um, I really hope that UConn uh, turns on on the Jets and really competes uh, for bigger performances and placement in the Hockey East uh, Conference as time goes on. But I I think that uh, until they – right now they're seventh in the conference. They've played – they're tied for the most games played so far, so and they've only got 11 points out of those games that they have played. So I hope that they can compete, and I hope they can really push for um, uh, for bigger attendance and improve the sport. But I need to see more from the Huskies right now. Well, the the bottom half of half of hockey East for quite a while has had the same problem. That's a recruiting heavy conference. You get a lot of future pros that come through hockey east and to really compete with those top schools you need to bring in more and more of them but there are only so many prospects to to go through in college hockey more and more seem to be coming in every year but there are only so many and once the once the traditional powers have gotten theirs there's not that many left for the 
Amherst, the Connecticut's, and they're going to have to find another way. And that's why I think the blueprint has always been Norm Bazin at UMass Lowell, who doesn't necessarily get those top prospects every year, but he always finds something to do with them. Oh, yeah. He always develops his guys, and he's a program coach. Bazin is absolutely that for Lowell. I think Greg Carvel could be that for UMass Amherst. In fact, I was at that Tuesday game uh, in Orono between Amherst and uh, UMaine, and Maine should not have won that hockey game. They got outshot badly, and still they won 3-1. to one. Basically, Jeremy Swainman made 34 of 35 saves and didn't surrender a goal until there was 34 and a half seconds left to go in the game. He absolutely stole that game away from them. So don't rule out Amherst being really competitive as time goes on. Not this year, I think, but give them some time, and they will be a tremendous program moving forward, I think. Finally, I think there's a really good story to get to before we close out, because I know you have to get on the road, get to Hartford. Maybe maybe if you're lucky, stop at Ryan's Deli and get a Reuben. They're always great. So <laughs> that's that's always been my take on Hartford, because I've always driven through there. I, I have unfortunately not spent that much time there. But I, I want to get to this story, because it is so great to see. That this is, you can read this on USCHO, Arizona State is getting the details finalized. They sound like they're about to announce an on-campus rink. About darn time, because they either play uh, their games in, they either play their games in Glendale, or they play in kind of a rinky-dink little place that's a little bit away from campus. So it's awesome that they are getting a rink. I know some baseball players out there. Um, uh, Hunter Bishop, who's the starting center fielder, he played for a, a Cape League team that I that uh, I was with. And he's uh, he, there's a lot of talk that you give Arizona State a little bit of time and, um, um, and they're going to be really competitive. So... It's great to see them getting a building, or uh, pretty close to uh, announcing a building of their own. It, it's a great step for a program that still has a long way to go, but they're in the game, and they only need to look all the way to Hockey Valley to see how quickly a program can really find its footing and make an impact. So if they can get that on-campus arena, I think things change quickly at Arizona State. It's got a good pitch. It's a good place for an athlete to go. So I think moving forward, if they get that rink the way it sounds like they're going to get that rink, it's going to send Arizona State to a new level. And I think we'd all be happy to see that. Agreed, especially since the current place they play the bulk of their games, which is the Oceanside Ice Arena, only seats 747 people. And there are 58 thousand undergraduate students at this school that's nowhere near enough people that you can get in if you want to get people into uh into this sport you need a place where you can play all of your games it must be noted as well that uh there have been some discussions about joining the wcha but the conversation is tabled right now so it looks like they're going to stay uh they're going to stay independent for right now but it's 
great that they're getting an arena. They need more than 747 people who are able to attend, and they need something that's a little bit more convenient than uh, the the Gila River Arena, which is where the Coyotes play. Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com. What are you working on this week, and which games will you be at beyond Hartford or beyond going to Hartford tonight? My interview with Ryan Donato will be up later on tonight on Inside Hockey. My um, uh, I'll be covering the game between Northeastern and UMass Amherst in Amherst tomorrow night, and I will be covering a matchup between BU and Merrimack at Aganis Arena on Saturday afternoon. Excuse me, Saturday evening. All right, excellent. This has been another episode of Puck University. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it now. I'm your host, Tim Williams. For Chris Lynch, ladies and gentlemen, keep your head up and your hits clean. Thank you.